This is Tara Grenov with the Grounding and Growing Leadership Podcast powered by Align. And this is episode 10. Have you noticed there's a difference between different generations and how they approach work? If you're like most leaders, you've not only been dealing with some of those challenges in how you manage and deal with different members of your team, but also in how you help them work better together. This week, we are so excited because we have our very first podcast guest, Dr. Ashley Lang. And she is joining us to talk about what it means to be a leader in a multi-generational workplace. She's going to share how the four different generations currently in our workforce have all had very different major world events that have shaped how they react to and manage work events that occur on a daily basis. And we love this conversation so much, we actually recorded two parts of this conversation. So today is part one with Dr. Lang, and you're not going to want to miss it. Welcome to the Grounding and Growing Leadership Podcast, where everyone is a leader and leadership starts with you. I'm Tara. And I'm Pamela. Thank you for listening and inviting us along on your leadership journey. Welcome, everyone. I am excited. Today, we're going to be talking about generations in leadership in the workplace. And we have brought in our expert, Dr. Ashley Lang. This is our first guest that we are recording with the Grounding and Growing podcast. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I want to just give you all a little bit of background on why we believe Ashley is more than qualified to talk about this topic. Dr. Ashley Lang has nearly two decades of experience in higher education, leadership, retail, and marketing. She's the founder and influence of strategic growth at Gold Digger. She challenges people and organizations to own who they are. She's an adjunct professor for the online leadership master's program at Wartburg College. She really loves connecting with people and believes her purpose is challenging others to discover who they are and supporting them in their journey. I didn't know this until I read your bio, but I didn't realize just how uniquely qualified you are to talk about this. During your PhD program or your ED in interdisciplinary leadership at Creighton, You researched millennials who supervise baby boomer subordinates. You also are Gallup certified in strengths and you are certified in MBTI or Myers-Briggs. So you bring a lot of expertise to the table and we are thrilled to have you here today. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. It is fun. When we have guests on the podcast, we are asking them to share their top five strengths and which one you are specifically or particularly appreciating or vibing with right now and why? All right. Well, I love strengths. So my top five, futuristic, strategic, significance, command, and competition are my top five. Right now, the one I'm vibing most with is significance. So as I was thinking about this, that's not normally the one that stands out to me, but I often find myself now prioritizing my work. And I didn't realize this based on how much of an impact it's going to have on other people rather than what I need to have done or maybe what's priority on the to-do list. I've also more recently found myself partnering with more like-minded and productive people. So that's been helpful in being able to do some of that. And yeah, I'm ultimately just determined to make a difference in the lives of others. And so that I think it's what drives me more than I recognize. And what we know about you Dr. Lang, Ashley, is that significance absolutely drives you. And it's one of the reasons I didn't mention this. You are on the Align coaching staff. So you're a member of the Align coaching staff. You 
specialize with our team in working with emerging and new leaders. And I think that is one of the reasons that you are so great at what you do is that you care so deeply about the impact that you have as a coach. This is Pamela. I just want to say it is so powerful to partner with Ashley because we each have such different strengths and how we view things. And I have seen even throughout the months, how all of us have grown even in our strengths because of one another. And um, I just love your perspective, Ashley. Yes. You both get to deal with me more frequently than you ever have. And you happen to be two of the people that I still consider though we have different strengths, like-minded and just energizing to be productive and make things happen and get things done. So I love the opportunity to work with y'all in different ways. So we are excited to learn from you today. So Ashley, in addition to being a professor and having studied this, you also are a coach with teams and leaders. And so you see this dynamic, the intergenerational dynamic happening in the workplace. What are some of the challenges that you notice when it comes to leadership between the generations? Yeah, probably the biggest thing I think that it all boils down to, and there's lots of layers to it beyond that, but it boils down to preferences. So first I want to say, when you talk about a generation, what that means and looks like, because some may not classify it in its own way. So generation is considered a cohort that has collective attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors that arise from some kind of shared experience during formative years. So this is another form of diversity in the workplace that people don't often consider. So back to boiling down to preferences with that, I think that idea of being a member of a generational cohort, it leads to having kind of a similar mindset in, in expectations that you're going to have coming into a workplace based on your prior experience. And then that's now being translated into behavior. And so communication is huge. I just see People say they're not communicating. They're not communicating. Well, people are communicating. It's just not in the way that we're expecting them to communicate to us. Maybe they're having different expectations of a manager or supervisor. The values that a person brings are different based on what they've experienced in their life. Things of that nature are really what stand out to me. So could you maybe talk a little bit about the differences between the generations that are currently in the workforce? Yeah, absolutely. So right now we have four generations in the workplace. We have the baby boomers. And so the years that are typically classified because there's not a real hard and fast rule are 1946 to 1964. So when we think about them, they've had experience. Their formative years were during like the Vietnam War, Woodstock, Kennedy and King assassinations, TV, the idea of suburbia, leave it to beaver, kinds <laughs> of things. And then next you have Gen X. So 1965 to about 1979, and the main things there were the Challenger disaster, Watergate, Desert Storm, the stock market decline, and corporate layoffs, things like that. So thinking about where people are coming from when they're having these values that they have and the why, and then you have our millennials, um, which I am a millennial. I'm an early millennial, so take that as you will, how you might classify me. But the things during our formative years, 9-11, terrorism, mobile computing became a thing. It wasn't something we were born into, but it became a thing. Social media, reality TV. Think about how those things are shaping the millennial group. And then Gen Z. So 1996 to about 2010, 
we do have another generation that's up and coming, but they're not quite in those years yet where we can start to predict things. But for Gen Z, a lot of terrorism, social networking, it's always been a thing that's where they live. Gun violence, gender equality is really big, which is a lot of connectivity because they automatically have the resources at their disposal. Even just thinking about those things, if you would take a moment and recognize that, it's, oh, yeah, this is why there's probably some tension in the workplace because they have very different experiences that they've lived through. And yes, we've all lived through elements of some of these, but the more recent things are quite different than maybe the baby boomer era. The difference in digital communication alone and where that ended up. My oldest son was born in 95 and he didn't grow up with social media in high school, but Mm -hmm. just a few years later. So just that cusp. Makes a a huge difference. Yeah. And in that difference too, I was born in, in Gen X. I'm the very oldest of the Gen X, (laughs) but I'm taking it. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And But how we experience these things are very different because we have lived through through things prior than those who are in millennials and Gen Z, even though we all lived through 9-11 or the terrorism or gun violence, how we experience it then based on our filter and how long we've been alive and been able to build resilience for other things. I have noticed that how I have experienced the things that I'm viewing now that are horrific, the resilience that I've been able to build because of the generation I came from, that's one thing that that I would love to hear you speak a little to and how that transfers over into leadership. Gosh, those are really great points, Pamela. Yeah, specifically when I look at baby boomers and the conversations that I've had with that group and thinking about oh, I lived through X, Y, and Z. So this is like a piece of cake, especially thinking about like COVID. And yeah, we all experienced it, but we're at very different points in our life experiencing it. And so it's going to impact us differently because of the skills we've built or we don't have those skills yet if we're young and in those very formative years as like a teenager or older teen and trying to navigate those. So the impact is going to be probably greater down the road for some of those people. And they don't even know it yet. Yeah. We've noticed that often members of Gen X or boomers, I hear with leaders, they're struggling with the difference in perceived or at least the perception of differences in values with millennials or especially Gen Z when it comes to work ethic and professionalism. What are the differences and how do leaders maybe bridge that gap? Yeah. When I think about the baby boomers. So workaholic is the word that comes to mind, like long hours, they dedicated their lives to the work. It has a lot to do with their self-worth, very results oriented. And then as you transition into Gen X, um, the identity is still tied to work, but they're working to live. Like they know that it's just a kind of requirement to do the stuff, to be able to do what else you want to do. Right. And they want more tasks. So transactional leadership is where it's at for Gen X. And then as you go into millennials, it transitions into transformational leadership. It's really a focus on seeing work as an opportunity to have an impact. So I think that's where my significance comes into play there is thinking about how I can have an impact in the things I'm doing. And that's why often they're not happy in 
different roles and you might start to see them shifting, moving around. They really want relationships and growth opportunities and development, connecting to their purpose. And then as you get into Gen Z, this is where they see work as a part of, but not their entire life. So the goal is just living. They're not tying any of their worth or value and identity to their work. And so it's, if you look at from baby boomers and then just went directly to Gen Z, it's, oh, so we have a workaholic and then we have, I'll work if I have to, or need to get by. I want folks who are going to coach me through things and teach me. And really sometimes in my mind, I think of that as coddle me as I am growing into a position. Like I have this expectation that you're going to teach it to me. So what I need to know, otherwise it's just not going to happen. And so they want the positive feedback and they see authority as the internet, which is really scary. That is, that's terrifying. <laughs> but also, can you talk a little bit more about this expectation difference? Because I think there is an expectation like, here's your work. We're going to give you some of the tools and some of the training, and then you figure out how to make it work versus being given or being coached every step of the way. Is that part of the conflict that you see in the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we aren't, especially as we're bringing new people in, no matter what generation they're from, um, we aren't letting people know expectations or finding out their expectations of training or relationships or how we're going to connect or communicate. And so that's a big thing. And that even goes back to the research that I did in my dissertation is really we don't take that time. Like a lot of people will say, I was never trained. It was fueled by fire. As we transition into these newer generations, that's a problem because they do not learn by fuel by fire. They're just going to quit and move on because they don't see it as you're investing in me. Whereas with the baby boomer, it's, I had to learn. I had to figure it out. Like I did the work to figure this out. I worked a lot of hours, but then they also had that fear of perhaps taking time off because they might lose momentum or whatever that might look like for them. Ashley, I am really curious. Hearing that information, that gives us a lot of clues as to how to coach them well. And I'm really wondering what is their driver and perhaps even for millennials and Gen X, but then maybe what would be the bridge to that? And I'm wondering if the clue might even be back in one of your top strengths that you talked about at the top of the show. Would a bridge or a driver potentially be that significance piece that if they are so involved with looking at everything that comes to them instantly, everyone is looking for that kind of significant attention does this transfer over into that relational, that making an impact, that significance piece for them in leadership or in the workplace? Yeah, I think that's a, a great connection that significance. I think that's probably why I've been able to see and look at generations as individual groups rather than just putting everything together. The other strength that kind of came to mind with that is individualization, because I really believe that based on the research I've done, that we have to individualize as leaders and for our leaders, what they need. So we need to understand the preference. We need to understand why someone's in this position and then feed that rather than ignore the fact that maybe we could just make a small tweak in how we're communicating to someone 
and they're going to be much happier and they're going to get what they need. And it just took me making a small adjustment to get there. But I don't think we're doing that. I think we're just saying we got to check the boxes. We've hired someone. Now we, they need to do their job, even if they aren't really sure what the job is. And so, so yeah, I think we do. We need to figure out what is important to them, where their priorities are, and then have kind of a, a matchup of how we can lead that person. I've heard you say before, Ashley, and I've certainly heard other people talking about we are needing to train people how to be the employee we want them to be, that people aren't coming in automatically knowing our expectations around employment, even what it means to be a good employee, which seems a little foreign as a Gen Xer myself. That seems a little foreign because my boomer dad absolutely pounded that into me, right? Like (laughs) I learned that here's what it means to be a good employee from a young age. Not that I always was a great employee, but I absolutely knew what the expectations Mm -hmm. should be. I think some of this too is that we expect people to come in having a certain skill set or understanding at a certain level. And I think it's hard to realize that there's more work that we have to do as leaders to get them there. I think, especially with the younger generations coming into jobs or career paths that have maybe existed for a long period of time. And so we just have this assumption that people know what it is and how to do it. And I think part of that problem too, is we're not finding the right employees, right? Because we have these expectations that no one really knows our expectations because they're not shared until you're in a role. And then you're like, I'm not equipped to do that. What do you mean? I'm supposed to do this. And so So that's a problem. We're not communicating that. Or we have these really new jobs that even older generations have never experienced because it it came because of technology or whatever. And now they're feeling lost because they don't understand the expectation because they didn't keep up on something. I see that happening with people that I coach or with those who are wanting to integrate in the workplace. And like you said, they just quit, just leave. But I'm also curious if culture, not only expectations, but culture plays a big part of this in the workplace. And if we learn that coaching and developing people, a lot like athletes would be coached or developed. Tara, Andy ran track for years and he had a coach that looked at every aspect of how he was running to make him more effective. If we apply this principle to coaching people individually so that we know this is what a win looks like in my mind for you as a coach, what what does a win look like for you, athlete, or for you, employee, or for you, leader? And how do we merge both and then coach to what that cultural win is, expectation win is, individual win is? I think there's the magic. Does that sound right? I think you're spot on, but I think we're not taking the time, making the time. Everything has become so fast paced and we just have expectations that people can figure it out and go and do right away, take action. But that's not always the case. Sometimes there is that building up that needs to happen or understanding there's a gap here. What is the gap and how do we work towards closing it? And so absolutely, in all of our coaching, that is something we we should be doing. But if an organization isn't willing 
to bring in someone or have someone internally do that work or as a supervisor or leader do that, we're never going to get there. And it's a completely different set of skills for leaders, right? So Pamela and I talk about this a lot, and it's the work that the three of us do together is helping to develop grounded leaders who can coach, who are in a good space themselves so that they can coach from that place of health and connection. It all comes back to something that you said earlier when you were talking about the challenges you notice. it all comes down to relationship building. And really culture is all about the relationships that we have and what gets fostered as relationship building, but relationships take time. I think it's interesting because we assume in the workplace, we can skip over that relationship building piece and just get to work. That we don't have to do that quote unquote fluffy part of relationship building because this is work. And there is an old, I think, value, work ethic value that is pervasive here. That's a difference between being able to embrace diversity and not, which is, are we going to make space for relationships at work? You're absolutely right. And that's one of the things that I've struggled with over time personally, because relationship building is not something that I recognize as bringing the value that it truly has. And that's important to everyone on some level, right? It may not be that I want to be best friends with the people I work with, but you have to know and understand things about each other to be able to work together. There has to be some kind of connection. I have thought through and have encouraged, even based on my research, that people need to be intentional with the relationship building or the ways of connecting. And so one of the things that I've recommended is intentional interactions for informal connection, right? So you have to be able to set aside the time to allow people to get together. And by that, I mean, making it part of the workday or saying, we're going to have this luncheon or we're going to have a coffee chat or some kind of outing, or we're going to go do service together or whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be fluffy, but it has to be an opportunity that's there because people aren't necessarily feeling equipped to do that on their own, especially if we're not comfortable getting up from a desk because we don't have a desk to work from together anymore. We're online. And so it means we have to have intentional time to be able to even see each other or talk to each other uh, instead of what we could do previously, where it was just walk down the hall, ask a question, you're building connection there. You bring up such a great point with the hybrid workforce, but also because of the differences in how we communicate and connect period, without that intentionality, those relationships aren't going to happen. I think we do assume and we take for granted the fact that we used to have workspaces that provided more opportunities for that connection. I remember my first job, everyone ate in the same lunchroom. And even that small thing provided connection in a way that I think when it went away, no one noticed, except that the connections were less. Or we go get coffee together before we start our day. Yeah, for Tara and I, Ashley, it was when we first started working together, it was our car trips. We had about a 45, 50 minute car trip down to Maple Grove from St. Cloud. We would meet with clients. But, but during that time, then we actually began to really care about each other as humans, as people, really being known, seen, and valued and heard. And that's part of that really grounded leadership that we also bring in when we do training in the workplace. So that is something that we began organically, but if we don't do it intentionally, 
then again, we don't connect as much or ground as much to that place that we spend so much of our time. I think it's Theodore Roosevelt that said this quote, people don't want to know how much until they know how much you care. And I think for Gen Z millennials, do you notice that even more, Ashley? Yeah. So as you were saying that, I actually have a specific example of a participant in my study who it just stood out to me that he was talking about a baby boomer that he supervised. And he said, you know what? She was really into like flowers and gardening and things like that. She gave me a flower and that was our connecting point because she would teach me how to take care of it. She would teach me how to talk to me about how's the flower doing? How's the plant doing? Whatever. That was the way they were starting to connect. I could care less about flowers, but because it was so important to her and she gave me one, I recognized that that was going to be the key to having a relationship so that we would be successful together. I was like, oh my gosh, that was a millennial that was saying that. And I was like, you know what? That's so true. If we would just take an interest in one little thing, even if we could care less about it, it starts the conversation or it just helps you find that connecting piece. And I think I remember um, a, a pretty recent client that we were working with that I think had mentioned oh yeah, we had this car ride together. It was great for us to catch up and because they don't normally work in the same space together. And it was, yeah, we forget that those things aren't happening organically anymore. And yes, we had to be intentional at some places there, but um, we don't have that organic connection like we once did because of the circumstances of life these days. I love both of those examples, actually, because neither of them probably take a lot of time right? Neither of them. And they're both pretty organic. We're going someplace together. Let's ride together. Or we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the flower and how it's doing. So that'll be one to two minutes of conversation in the grand scheme of things, because I, I think where a lot of leaders get hung up is I'm so busy. I've got a lot to figure out. Pressure is not less for leaders these days. It is more, we are doing more with less. And so do you have any other ideas or tips for ways people can bridge this gap between generations, whether it's from the older generations to the younger or vice versa? So a couple of things. The one thing that I thought about initially was we need to transition our mindsets. And that's a challenging thing to do is help people get there. And Pamela is probably an expert on that. But I think that older generations have more of a fixed mindset and it's always been done this way. Um, where this is my experience. And so we need to focus on everyone, especially leaders on becoming more agile and adapting and setting expectations and then aligning leadership styles and management practices with generational values would be huge. But to get there, I think something simple, and again, this wouldn't take a lot of time, but I think it would give insight if we aren't going to sit down and have these formal and informal conversations, then I think that if there's a survey or questionnaire of some kind, when people are coming into an organization or a team that says, what are your preferences as far as communication? Is it telephone? Is it face-to-face, whether that's in person or on Zoom? Is it just sending an email and having it text communicated ultimately? What does that look like? How do you want to experience feedback? I know that's a big thing too. Some people want feedback. Some people only want the praise, right? But they don't want the constructive 
So thinking about what are those preferences? How do you want to further your knowledge? I think if people know the preferences, then you can start to make it adaptations to where people are at or where you need to focus your time. I think that's where if you aren't doing one-on-ones with your team, so if you aren't taking the time to do one-on-ones, you're losing the opportunity to customize some of your approach and leadership, right? Because it's hard to customize. You're only working with a group. It's hard to customize when the only interactions you have are group is group communication. And uh, that's a whole other conversation we could have around how many people report to you directly and what is effective when it comes to that. But I even notice with leaders who do lead and do have one-on-ones, even taking five minutes ahead of your one-on-one to just pause and think about who am I meeting with, glance at their strengths if you use strengths, think about what you know about their preferences, their needs, their challenges, their opportunities, and then be able to go into that conversation with just a touch of intentionality can make such a huge difference. Absolutely. And that's what happens in our coaching conversations all the time, right? Like we have taken time to recognize who we're sitting down with. What are they needing right now? And they appreciate that attention. And often they're wanting more than what they're getting even as far as coaching goes, because they're not getting that um, in the workplace in the way that they're hoping to. We are going to do a part two, actually, because there are more questions we didn't even get to. There's things I want to circle back on and dive deeper into. We want to talk more about that mindset shift you were talking about. I really want to talk more about self-worth and where we get our worth, because I think that is where a lot of disconnect happens between generations. When I get my identity from work, and I'm not saying me, but I'm saying if I'm someone who gets their identity from work and I'm working with someone who doesn't, it can feel offensive. And so what do we do with that? Um, So would love to dive deeper into that. Pamela, any final thoughts that you wanted to share? I'm really excited for part two because I have more questions now that we've started part (laughs) one. And I also want to dive into what does it look like to have a mentor? Dr. Ashley Lang, thank you so much for joining us today. We are very excited about this next part of the conversation. We will have lots of links in the show notes. And as always, if you have some comments or a topic that you would like to see covered or a guest that you would like to see on the show, please contact us. Information will be in the show notes. We'll see you for part two. Come on.